So people of God in Christ, the weather is calm this morning, but uh, as I was preparing this sermon this week, it just so happened that a thunderstorm was passing through our area, and as I thought about how to begin this sermon, I was listening to the rumble of thunder. Uh, Do you know what causes the sound of thunder? Thunder comes by lightning. As lightning heats the air, it passes through. Okay, that's about all I know. What I do know is that lightning causes thunder. It's a natural phenomenon, part of the natural world in which we live. In fact, did you know this? Um, You can probably correct me on it afterwards if you want, but... You can measure the distance away from you that the lightning struck by counting the the number of seconds that it takes for the sound uh, of the thunder uh, to follow the flash of of lightning. When the lightning flashes, you see it instantly because uh, the speed of light is fast. It's just really fast. See how how much I know? Um, But the speed of sound is, uh, is much slower so when the lightning flashes, uh, start counting, and I think it's every four seconds, uh, every four seconds after the flash of lightning, it indicates that the lightning struck one mile away. You can correct me afterwards if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, all of this to highlight the fact uh, that uh, we live in a scientific age. Um, we understand far more about the world than people did in the past. Uh, I think here of Martin Luther uh, and the story of how it was that he uh, decided to become an Augustinian monk. Uh, as the story goes, he was, he was caught uh, in a thunderstorm and uh, a bolt of lightning, or perhaps several, uh, struck very close to him as he traveled along a road so that Luther did not think about lightning heating up the air uh, it passed through and causing thunder. Instead, he interpreted the lightning as a sign from God, uh, even as uh, the judgment of God threatening him because he was engaged in the study of law uh, by his father's wishes, rather than, as, as Luther interpreted it, rather than becoming a monk and living out uh, his life uh, in service to the church. Uh, Was he right or was he wrong? Well, scientifically, he didn't understand lightning nearly to the degree that we do. But theologically, spiritually, uh, perhaps he understood something far more, far better than we do. And the proof is in the history of what God did through Martin Luther over five or over five hundred years ago, in the in the Great Reformation of the of the sixteenth century, what Martin Luther understood is is that God is the God of judgment. Uh, some will hear that statement, that God is the God of judgment, and maybe they'll roll their eyes, uh, or they will groan and say, "Oh, not not that business again." But this is what we said last time, that that we, despite all possible objections, we we do know. Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed 
from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The verb tense is the key in that verse. It it doesn't say that the wrath of God was once revealed in the great flood recorded in Genesis 6 or or at, uh, at Sodom and Gomorrah, the judgment of God was revealed. And it doesn't say that the wrath of God will be revealed in the, in the coming day of judgment. Instead, it's, it says the wrath of God is revealed. And the Apostle Paul goes on to explain that people really do just know, even by way of what we call natural law or general revelation, people really do just know not only that they will one day die, but that in the day of their death, they will find the dark night of God's judgment. But what we want to see this morning beyond last week is that people really do know that a sacrifice must be made for their salvation. This was the, the third and, and last point last week. And, uh, and it was said then that it was largely a, a matter of preview because the theme of a sacrifice for the sake of salvation continues in Genesis 42 and on into Genesis 43. And Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, even says outright, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We might think, we might, uh, we might try to make it stick in our, in our understanding that in the end, God will not be who he is, that he will simply sigh and say, oh well, we'll just let sin go. But the teaching of Scripture is that we all, we each, really do know. I hate to tell you what you already know, but that's, this is what God's Word says. We really do know, first, that there is a God, that He is holy, that His judgment is due to sinners like us, and that salvation can only come by way of a sacrifice. So the idea here is to look at the various sacrifices in the story of Joseph's reconciliation with his brothers and his father. Remember that, uh, that this theme, this idea of sacrifice, is, is part of the whole story of Joseph, right? To this point, Joseph has been the suffering son. We see so much of Christ in how he was rejected by his brothers, sold by them into slavery, and yet how this was all God's plan, so that by the sacrifice of Joseph, many lives would be saved, including his own brothers and his father. But now, to some degree, we see Simeon. Simeon stepping into the role of the, of the suffering son. Granted, he, he didn't do so willingly. Joseph didn't either. Genesis 42, verse 24 says, And he, that is Joseph, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. 
it's not a not a huge part to the story and and yet it really is one son is bound one son is kept in prison while the while the rest are allowed to go free doesn't that sound familiar it's it's familiar to joseph's experience and there's something of the gospel in this as well so the the theme of sacrifice and the idea of a suffering son continued last time and uh, as we look uh, at it this time we'll see it uh, once again but then comes what we what we might say is Reuben's sad sacrifice and uh, and sad in the sense of uh, of poor uh, quite underwhelming the story continues in the in the telling of the brothers minus Simeon returning to their father in the land of Canaan. Uh, they told their father all that had happened uh, to them in Egypt and how Simeon was kept there in prison until they returned to ransom him by bringing the youngest son Benjamin down to Egypt. And so this too should sound familiar. Uh, in a sense, Benjamin becomes the representative son, uh, to some degree the suffering son. But as Jacob distresses, as Jacob lays charges against his, his sons, he said, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me, said Jacob. Well, so also Jacob bewails the situation so that Reuben makes uh, his quite sad sacrifice. And, and he said in response to his father's grief, kill my two sons if I do not bring him, referring to Benjamin, if I do not bring him back to you. And uh, you can almost hear the two sons of Reuben saying, wait, what? One of them might have even said to the other, did, did, you, did you hear that right as I heard it? Did our father just put us on the chopping block? Yeah, that's what he said. And it was an exaggeration, I, I, I would imagine. Uh, I, I think we have to read it that way, but, but it demonstrates for us two things. One, again, there is need for a sacrifice. Little did the brothers know that they had already made the sacrifice that uh, would save them when they sold Joseph into slavery. Think about that. But now, how to get Simeon back? Uh, how to restore the whole family back to the land of Canaan? Minus Joseph, of course, since he's gone, he's out of the picture. So they thought, but he wasn't gone, was he? He was not out of the picture. The sacrifice of the son Joseph is still in force. Uh, it's still active. It's still happening and, and proving uh, its effect. But, but now, as a result of Jacob's grief, as a, as a result of Reuben's dismay with the whole miserable situation, he said to his, fa to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring... Benjamin back to you. Well, next is, Ju is Judah's frustrated sacrifice, I want to call it. 
Reuben is dismayed, we might say, and Judah is clearly frustrated as well. In answer to Reuben's offer, kill my two sons. So Jacob says, my son Benjamin shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, referring to Joseph, and he, Benjamin, is the only one left. You see, that's the, that's the weakness that we, that we see in, in Jacob. Think about the, I think we have to do this. Think about the emotional effect that that statement from Jacob would have had on his sons. Joseph is dead, so Jacob thinks, so that he really only has one son left, Benjamin. Reuben might have said, uh, what about me? Am, am I not your son? Judah might have said, what about me? Am I not your son? And all the rest of them were, were likely to say, at least to think to themselves, what about me? Am I not your son? I know, Father, that you had two wives and that one of them was your favorite. The other one you didn't care all that much for. But will you, will you really claim that Benjamin is the only son that you have left now that Joseph is gone? And that's why I, I think we need to see Reuben's sacrifice as being made in dismay for the situation. And this is also why I think we can refer to Judah's sacrifice as being made in frustration. Remember that Judah had previously gotten so frustrated that uh, he left the, co- the covenant community for quite some time. Enough time to take a, a pagan wife, to have children by her, enough time to see his sons grow up uh, as wicked men and to see them die. Uh, he also went into a prostitute who, who uh, turned out to be his daughter-in-law, and, and he had twin sons by her. The curious thing is, is that we don't hear, and we've noted this before, but we don't hear, we aren't told of Judah's return. But here he is now in the story. And it would seem that things haven't changed much. Judah maybe just figured out that things wouldn't be any different uh, or even any worse by leaving the covenant community, so he's back. And Jacob is, uh, is still favoring his favorite wife. He is still mourning for Joseph. And uh, he even seemed to think that he only had one son left, despite all the sons who were standing directly in front of him. And I think we see Judah's frustration, uh, if that's the right word, in, in Genesis 43, verse 10. He said, he said, if we had not delayed, we... We could have returned twice for crying out loud. Okay, I added the for crying out loud. But, uh, but that seems to be what Judah was feeling. But listen also to Judah's proposal. In verses um, 8 and 9, And Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy with me. We will arise and go, that we may live and not die. And there's that seeking after basic survival that we considered last time. Send the boy with me. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. 
If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. So can we see so much of Christ's sacrifice in the sacrifice of of Judah? Uh, It was not kill my two sons, but really kill me if it doesn't work out. I will be the pledge of his safety. Jesus said, I lay down my life for my sheep. And here was Judah, trying at least, to lay down his life for his brother Benjamin and even for his whole family. But Judah was clearly frustrated with his father's excessive grief. Judah had to remind his father that survival was on the line here. The famine was severe throughout the land. And so he appeals to his father saying, in essence, don't forget, father, that we all would like to live and not die. We need grain. We can't survive without it. And Judah even says that we may live and not die, both we and you, Father, and also your little ones, our our little ones, your grandchildren. Once again, I I don't think it's it's to Jacob's credit that, that he had to be reminded uh, that he had more than two sons. A grief for a son is fine. It's as it should be. But grief for a son must not keep him from considering the rest of his family. There are 12 sons of Jacob, and they have little ones, and they need to eat. And will Jacob's grief really cause him to endanger the lives of his family? Will his grief and and fear of further grief keep him from doing what needed to be done to feed his family. And so we come to Jacob's woeful sacrifice. Reuben said, kill my sons. Judah said, kill me. And so Jacob finally agrees. He gives in. He he said, verse 13, take also your brother, referring to Benjamin, and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. Again, why is, why is Simeon not mentioned by name here? Uh, why is he referred only to your other brother? In the Hebrew culture, there, there was an even greater emphasis on names compared to our own. In, in our own culture, if someone dies fighting for our country, we engrave that person's name on a wall or a, a monument of, of some sort. And, and we say, quite presumptively, we will never forget. But each time, I'm sorry, each name is, of course, one among a thousand. And, and even if we manage never to forget in whatever time we have to remember... There's no question that the next generation will certainly forget. And the third generation will not even know that they have forgotten to remember. Jacob, on the other hand, only remembers Simeon as your other brother. And he does not mention him by name. Consider the, consider the genealogies, the, the record of names given in the Hebrew Scriptures. Um, names... Uh, 
are important, much to our distress when we're trying to read and pronounce all those names in a in a list given in a genealogy. And and by comparison, I, I think it's telling that Jacob doesn't mention the name of his son, Simeon. Benjamin, yes, but not Simeon. Jacob's sacrifice is a woeful sacrifice. Jacob's sacrifice is, well, there's nothing else we can do. As for me, if I'm bereaved, bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. But think about it. Why, why didn't Jacob say, okay, let's all go down there. This is crazy. Who is this brash ruler in Egypt who threatens our existence with his demands? Let's go see him and let's get Simeon back. After all, we are the covenant people of God. We have the one true God dwelling with us. We have God ruling over us. We have God caring for us. You see, it was, it was really the same mistake that Abraham made when he listened to Sarah and went into his servant Hagar. It was the same mistake that Isaac made when he repeated the sins of his father and said that his wife was his sister. It was the same mistake that Jacob made earlier when he said, if God will bless me, then he will be my God. Instead, we need to take God at his word. Brothers and sisters, we need to take God at his word. Are the promises of God good or not? Do... Do they need to be tested? And do we need to make woeful sacrifices in our lives? We need to make confident sacrifices. Sacrifices not made in woe, but with hope that God will do what he has promised to do. And so out of this succession of sacrifices... A sad sacrifice, Reuben saying, kill my sons. A a frustrated sacrifice, Judah dealing with his father's favoritism and grief. And Jacob's own woeful sacrifice. Well, so the contrast is made with Christ's willing sacrifice. And it wasn't that the sacrifice of Christ didn't bring any woe. Jesus said many times to his disciples, I must be lifted up. The Son of Man will be crucified. I must die that you might live. And each time, being our Savior in our own flesh, surely Jesus spoke with a degree of woe. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the the woe of Christ Increased, Father, if there is any other way, let it be that way. But at no point was it ever the sacrifice of despair. It was never the sacrifice of, oh well, I hope this works out. No, Jesus himself said, I lay down my life for my sheep and I do so that I may take it up again. My Father Himself has given me this authority both to lay down my life for my sheep and to take up my life again for their salvation. 
And the woe of our Savior reached its greatest point, as we all well know when he said from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why indeed do we understand it? The Son must suffer to declare the holiness of God, to make clear and well-known the justice of God against his enemy, the devil, and against all those who have taken sides with the evil one. The Son must suffer in order to declare the grace and the mercy and the love of God. The sacrifice of the Father made of His only begotten Son was not a sad sacrifice. In other words, the Father's sacrifice of His Son was uh, even the sacrifice of Himself. God Himself, in in the person of His Son, died on the cross. And the sacrifice of the Father made of His only begotten Son was not a frustrated sacrifice, which is to say it was not based on strained relationships, but on the perfect relationship between God the Father and God the Son, the two being one, the two in perfect agreement, the two, Father and Son, and even the Spirit, working together with one will for the defeat of evil in the world and the salvation of those Loved by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the sacrifice of the Father made of His only begotten Son was not a woeful sacrifice. Oh well, let's see if this works out. Jacob seemed to be saying that. Instead here, the seed of Eve, the offspring of Abraham, the promised son of David would come. And now he has Come, and the divine plan has been worked out in history. An eternal plan has been fulfilled. A perfect sacrifice has been made. Even a once-for-all sacrifice, says God's Word. So don't try to live vicariously through your children. That's only like Reuben who said, kill my sons. And and don't live in frustration like Judah. I'll be sacrificed. And don't live in woe, only hoping that maybe, just maybe, there might be salvation in the end. Instead, live in Christ. Live in Christ. Live by His sacrifice. Live with conviction. Live being sure. Live because Christ lives. Having suffered, having died, and having risen again from the dead. Amen. Please pray with me. Thank you, O God, for the, the many attempts We thank you for the mistaken notions. We thank you for the things that 
didn't work out in Scripture. So that we can always be looking to what has worked out, what you have done in the perfect sacrifice of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us indeed to live in Christ, to live with hope, to live being sure that all has been done and that your promises in the end will be fulfilled. Grant us this faith and none other. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.